Welcome to Bite Size, a cybersecurity Q&A presented to you by Kroll & Mooring. Our goal is to take the complex world of government contract cybersecurity and break it down into bite-sized pieces. My name is Evan Wolf, and I'm going to be flying solo this week. And we're going to be talking about the exciting and timely topic of the new executive order that President Biden signed out on May 12th of 2021. It is the entitled Improving the Nation's Cybersecurity Executive Order 14028. It's really a very interesting executive order, first of all, because of the length. It's one of the longer executive orders that the presidents have signed out in recent years, but also because of the focus on some of the more important issues representing new areas that the government needs to focus on, which traditionally executive orders don't always establish. They can't establish new law. They have to rely upon existing legal authorities, but this does create 46 new activities for or, or, or new reports and activities that the government must undertake. Overall, it presents the government-first approach to managing cybersecurity, meaning that the government is going to focus on federal cybersecurity activities, whether it is purchasing certified technologies or leading from the front represents a, a very clear direction for the for the Biden administration and, and how the government is going to lead going forward. So let's jump right in. I'm just going to do a quick highlight of some of the important areas. The first is expansion of cybersecurity incident reporting obligations. And this is an area that's been talked about in the press often, whether or not we should have mandatory or voluntary cyber reporting obligations. And it's very clear for here that it's going to require for information and communication technology service providers that are contracting with the federal government, but that they must report. There's going to be more details to follow. But this is a clear expansion from the current reporting obligations. And it is even expanding what we see under the DFAR safeguarding clause that we've talked to you in the past about. This is going to impact not only the DFARs, but also the FAR. And, and it also expands the reporting obligations to include to the Department of Homeland Security, Cybersecurity, and Infrastructure Security Agency, or CISA. The reporting obligations also implicate any support systems for software, product, or services, which means there's going to be, and it's very clear, there's going to be a broad expanse of what will be reported and what is expected to be reported. Because taking a step back, that was one of the real challenges that, that the government's had in the past few years in terms of incidents that, that, that they've described, or at least they feel that they've described, and, and, and clarity is that they need better visibility through more reporting. A second area is establishing a software supply chain security standards. And this is another new area that the government is really focused on. It creates a new term that is not defined in the EO, but will be defined by NIST shortly thereafter. The term is critical software. And what this portion of the EO does it tasks the federal government with improving the security and integrity of software supply chain by focusing on critical software. And there's going to be new guidelines for software supply chain that's going to be written within the next 180 days. And this will include creating a software bill of materials. Many of those that have been involved in government contracting for a while knows what a bomb or bill of material is. And this really creates a new requirement for software to have specific bill of materials that can attest to the source code and make sure that we have a minimum level of, of standards that are focused on it. A third area I want to talk about is the modernization of security practices and the cloud. And this portion of the EO really focuses on creating a zero trust architecture that will be implemented across the government and using FedRAMP as a launching point for introducing zero trust and really 
enforcing zero trust across the government. It's going to require all federal agencies to adopt multi-factor authentication and also require them to use a, an endpoint detection and response solution. So in addition to using more secure services provided by contractors, it's also requiring the government to secure their own infrastructure. In general, what the rest of the EO and the section does is it, is it modernizes the, the FedRAMP process. I just want to hit on a few other quick things that, that it does that maybe are not as tied to government contractors, but are interesting nonetheless, or at least interesting if you follow cybersecurity as, as we do. One of them is it creates the Cyber Safety Review Board, similar to the NTSB, is going to focus on significant incidents where there's been an impact to federal and non-federal systems and will be developed over time, but will give the government an arm to conduct investigations. The executive order also requires the development of a government-wide incident response playbook. There are a lot of actions that will be created by the EO, and it's a very exciting time, and I'm sure we'll be talking about them to you in the future. Thank you for joining Bite Size Q&A. We'll be back in your feed in a few weeks with a new question and some simple answers. But in the meantime, you can find more information on our website. And if you have any suggestions for what you'd like us to cover, please let us know, and I can be reached at 202-624-2615. And once again, it's uh, Evan Wolf, and thank you for joining us. This has been Bite Size Q&A, a podcast brought to you by Kroll & Mooring. You can find more information at kroll.com slash cyberpodcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you listen to podcasts. And if you enjoy our show, please leave us a review.